Morning. MYP fam, welcome to another episode. Today is an interview with Greg from Indie Dropping. And some of you guys who have been following me on Twitter, you guys know Greg because Greg is huge in the indie community and in the indie podcast community. And it's no secret why he's actually started a, a number of shows to help indie podcasters grow and get more listeners. And his concept for a show is really fascinating. And so we're going to get into that. But we also get into some ways that you can utilize paid traffic to be able to grow your show as well. So stick around for that. If you guys are not connected with me or Greg on Twitter, go and do that. You can find me at Hector underscore podcast and you can find him at Indie Dropping. As always, thanks so much for being part of the MYP fam. Let's get into the interview with Greg from Indie Dropping. Well, I, I do appreciate you taking some time to come on the show. And I, I just did some research. It looks like you've got your hands full with a few shows and stuff. Our our our, yeah. I'm running into a few a lot of people in the space, and it's it's probably by by the universe's design, and and it's really I just want to find people and and share people with our my audience to help people get past that launch phase. There's a lot of resources to help people start a podcast, but then once you once you got going, yeah. there's not as much, or maybe it's just not as exciting, or for whatever reason, we we just want to fill that void of how do you actually sustain and and grow a show. So. Um, we try and uh, provide strategies and tactics and how-tos, but then also just, mm -hmm. just stories. I, I one, one show that I really enjoyed early on in my just podcast listening career was Entrepreneur on Fire. And just hearing sure. how Susie started a bakery or how Joe did a whatever, like just hearing those, those kinds yeah. of different types. Now, I would never run a bakery, but I was able to find something that could apply to my own business. And so I, I wanted to do something similar where we have just different all, all different, different sorts of hosts who have, at least for me, I think even sustaining a show for X amount of years, whatever you want to put in there is, is mm -hmm. a success. And so that's kind of where we're trying to, the hole that we're, sure. we're trying to fill. And I, I feel that the independent podcaster, it's like, it almost reminds me of like a rebel without a cause type, type thing, right? There's this kind of this, this this yeah. rebel almost mindset and it's just uh, so i thought that it would be good to talk about and hear hear what you've gone through and, and stuff like that yeah i think i mean it's a great topic the the middle phase of owning a podcast operating a podcast however you want to say it i really look at it as owning a podcast because i look at it like a business i i just don't really love hobbies that i can't turn into a business i always stop doing it because I feel like my time could be spent bettering the lives of myself and my family, right? So like even even in some of my my personal projects, I do some like book reviews as a just for fun. Well, I always include like an affiliate link, so in case anybody wants to buy the book, they can. And I've been doing it for so long now, anytime I recommend a book, I'll usually sell 100 to 200 books yeah. just just by mentioning it. And it's nice to get 15 bucks for, for sharing your opinion. So, so I, I think these podcasters are in a, in this same boat, right? Like you're, you're kind of laboring away every week, making something that you're proud of that you hope people listen. And I think it would be nice if they can make a little bit of money. Totally. And, and I, I, I kind of, I put out this thing in the universe called the middle class of podcaster, right? Where 
you might not be Jordan Harbinger, right? Like you're not going to get a, you know, a $20 million deal or whatever he got from podcast one. The chances are low, right? It's like playing in the major leagues for sports. Like you can be a great baseball player and never make it to the major leagues, but there's nothing wrong with being a middle-class podcaster where you make, let's say, 50 to $100,000 a year recording a podcast once a week. I think it's totally possible. And I think the reason people struggle with that and kind of the niche that Indie Drop-In is trying to solve, very hard to solve, but trying to solve is getting people from the 100 listeners to like the 10,000 listeners, right? That middle area where they can start to make some money. And I think one of the one of the issues we have out there is the perception that podcasts are just for fun, right? That anytime I post anything like, hey, would you like to make money with your podcast? I usually get 50% hateful comments like, I do it for the passion. Like, well, that's great. I mean, like, keep doing it. You know, like, if you're loving it, if you're loving life, right. making your podcast, like, go love life. Don't let me stop you. But if you're working at, at uh, Panera and you're making a podcast and you want to investigate crimes for a living and you're, you're going to night school for criminology and you're, and you're 100% like into it, and it'd be nice to stop working at Panera and focus on your dream. That's, that's kind of the way I think about it. So, so that's what I try to do. I try to help indie podcasters get from wherever listenership they are today to the next level of listenership. And sometimes, sometimes it works better than others. Yeah. I'd love for you to share a little bit about the Indie Drop-In Network and kind of the, sure. the story. And and specifically, what I'd love for you to share is also is kind of the, the why behind it. If you could take us back to, to why you wanted to start it, or I know you guys have four shows sure. now, and so it's kind of evolved, but mm -hmm. I'd, I'd love for you to take us in your mind throughout that whole process. Yeah. Okay, well, let me start with maybe what Indie Drop-In is, like its core use, right? So Indie Drop-In is a network that consists primarily of shows that are genre-based. So true crime, scary time, and comedy. Those are the three, I'll say, primary shows. And they exist 100% as feed drops of other shows, which means a creator in the paranormal space can submit an episode if it, meets, if it meets a couple of basic criteria, right? I don't try to censor the content. I don't even try to gauge if I think it's good because I might not be that ideal listener. And I think that's a trap that marketing people get into is they'll look at something and go, well, right. I don't like it. Well, you're not, the, you're not the person I'm trying to target. So, so what I do is, is I just try to make sure that the, the spark is there for some fuel, right? The audio sounds good. They've been podcasting for a while. It sounds like they're organized. They have some sort of a script. They're doing some sort of editing, right? They've gotten past those very first awkward months of, of sure. a terrible show, right? Like that's like every, no one can make a good show at first. It's very, well, I very hard. Say to go back and listen to Joe Rogan's first like hundred episodes and they're terrible. They're unwatchable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And you make all sorts of mistakes that seem, I don't know, like when you look back at them, you think, how could I be so dumb? But you right. didn't know you were dumb. So you just, it, it, it's an honest mistake and you're, you're slowly but surely getting better. So what I look for are those just main few hurdles that have been crossed. Audio quality, organization, consistency, 
you've been around for a while. And if all those are met, then I'll play the episode. I don't listen to, I don't consider who it is other than they have to be an independent creator, right? I won't, if you're sponsored by somebody, if you're partially owned by like a network, if you're, you work at NPR, you might create the podcast, but you work at NPR. So NPR can, can market you. So a couple of considerations, but then I'll play the episode. And then what I do on my end is I focus marketing dollars on the shows themselves. So like I promote true crime, my true crime show specifically, and I try to create a funnel that goes out and finds people interested in true crime and looking for another show. And then I play them, these independent creators, by the thousands. I mean, my true crime show gets 80,000 downloads a month. It's not small compared to most independent shows. So in the first month, a creator can expect anywhere between, I don't know, 12 and 20,000 downloads, depending on the time of year and how, how good their show is, quite frankly. Right? So, and that's not where I want to stop. I would like to get, I would like to get a hundred thousand downloads for a creator, you know? So what I, what the vision of indie drop-in is someone drops in a show. I bring the funnel of potential subscribers to their show. And I say, here it is good or bad faults, qualities, pluses, give it a listen. If this person resonates you, with you, if they speak in your voice, if they represent you as a person, if they talk about your town. Whatever it could be, they talk about a topic that is interesting to you. Go and subscribe. Leave Indie Drop-In. Feel free to come back if you want, but if you found your perfect show and you only want one, unsubscribe from me and go subscribe to them. That's the mission. And so, so that's what I try to do. That's, that's what Indie Drop-In is about. One thing that we're also trying to put together on this show is sure. how they fit in as part of a business. And I, you mentioned that there are some yeah. shows where that's not part of it, but then like you, mm -hmm. I know that if I'm going to devote a significant amount of time, unless it's to my wife and kids, those are the, yeah. those are the one things that I, I realize are going to be expenses. But outside of that, if I can, if I could right. try and make some money from it, why not? How does mm -hmm. it fit into uh, the, like, what is the business model there? Or, or if you could share as, as, sure. as much as you, you can. Yeah, no, I mean, it's an open book. I mean, if people don't submit shows and, and license their content to me, which they have to sign a licensing agreement in order for me to play it, but then I have, I don't have anything. So I have to be a hundred percent transparent and how indie drop-in makes money is by ads. It's like a traditional podcast. So our goal is to build giant traditional podcasts that are, that are monetized with ads. I don't want to, I don't want to sell premium subscriptions because I don't want people to stick with me. Right. So, um, it's going to be monetized by ads, mostly ads by brands. I try not to advertise other podcasts because I want the show to be about that one podcast. So I hope someday Indie Drop-In does make money. Right now it spends a considerable amount more money than it makes, but if I stopped marketing, it would make money. So it's technically in the black, but I really want to get all shows to that 10,000 subscriber or 10,000 downloads mark. And I want to launch at least four new shows this year, which it costs me about anywhere between five and $10,000 to launch a show. 
and I want to launch four this year. So a couple of things I, I want to get into. I, I want to come back to this, this idea of what you're doing to drive the shows, because you're right, 80,000 downloads is sure. no... No small number. I mean, you're in in the top one percent of one percent of of shows, especially for indie. I'd imagine that that's even even smaller that are the shows that are doing your number. If if you if you classify me as indie, I mean, I spent forty thousand dollars on true crime last year. Well, advertising. Well, that so that's, that's actually that's... what I want to get into is <laughs> this idea of the indie podcaster. It reminds mm-hmm. me of like when you were talking before about these podcasters who don't don't make money or these people. Like, it kind of reminds me of like the starving artist, right? There's like there's this sure. starving podcaster syndrome that that happens quite a bit. And and it seems like indie podcasters are like, that's an identity that a lot of people take on. And I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm I'm OK with the commercialization of art. And that's also because I don't see my I'm a. I'm a marketer, I guess, before I'm an artist. And mm-hmm. so if it was to lean one way, and so I guess I, I understand that. However, there is this kind yeah. of sticking it to the man mentality or Spotify is the evil empire or Apple is part of the sure. the Terminator or there's just this us against them type thing. And maybe you could speak to mm-hmm. a little bit about like what that ethos might be or where that came from or why. I mean, I, I just, it, it's, I'm kind of fascinated by the phenomenon because you don't, you don't see like an independent influencer. Like there's no such thing as an independent influencer yeah. or independent, I mean, YouTuber kind of, but you don't, you don't see it with the same oomph and gusto that so many podcasters put on there. But to you, you, you have a, a show dedicated to independent shows. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, why indie podcasters have this kind of cultural identity, I think is because podcasting is such an open system and it's unedited, you know, unedited, uncontent controlled. There's no one person that can turn someone off. It's very much distributed. And I think that gives people a sense of power where they feel like no one can turn them off, right? That, that there'll be an app out there that keeps them on the air, so to speak. Plus, I I think it's really important that people have a voice, even if they don't want to monetize that voice, they can, they, they at least can, if they have something to say that they think is valuable, they can put it out there and see if it's valuable, right? You don't really know if it's valuable until other people place a value on something. So podcasting kind of gives you this platform that allows you to have any opinion and allows very few people in the world to be able to stop that opinion from kind of proliferating the universe. Yeah, it's it's interesting that I you think, say that that like yeah. the the industries that have been censored by by all the big, you know, advertising, the Googles, mm-hmm. the Facebooks, they come to podcasts because that censorship is not is not there, right? Political is a big one that I know. Obviously, that whole area is just a whole can of worms. Cannabis, there, but just these industries that the traditional sure. marketing has has taken a slight at has seen the advantage of coming to podcasts because of what you talked about. Yeah, and I think that there's there's some truth to that, but but I think it's also kind of a hidden lie, right? Because I'll say 95% of all podcasts are listened to either on Apple or Spotify. Maybe it's 90, maybe it's 85, who knows, depends on who you're talking to. But at any point, 
if those two platforms decided to deplatform you for whatever reason, your podcast is essentially off for the masses. Now, the if you have fanatics, if you've created fanatics from your content, which is completely possible, they will probably follow you onto a whatever app. But you know, I think that podcasting is like open source software. Like it's always going to be out there. It's always going to have a place in the world, but it's not going to be where people make the money. And, and I think podcasting is getting to a size where just like a YouTuber is a legitimate job. People, people make a living on YouTube and podcasting can be that too, if treated like a job. And I think we're finally starting to see creators take it seriously in large numbers, right? There's probably a million indie podcasters that are trying to make money on their podcast. Yeah, and I think it seems like a lot of, for lack of a, lack of generalizing people, indie podcasters are not in favor of this commercialization of, of podcasting, right? They're, that the, the rise of Spotify or all Alex Cooper getting these huge deals and Joe Rogan's getting, you know, all these massive sure. deals that somehow takes away from the indie podcaster. And, and it's, yeah. it seems like from your sentiment that you kind of agree. I think I kind of agree that, you know, ultimately you're going to ha have to come with some sort of professionalism or some sort of production quality or, or that mm -hmm. the, the expectations and the standards are going to, to rise so much so that the yeah. the hobby podcaster is going to go by the, i mean the same way that the hobby blogger went well i mean the hobby podcaster gets no love today i mean let's just be real i mean the average hobby podcaster might have 100 listeners there's a lot of people on the planet and there's a lot of people that listen to podcasts so 100 listeners although i'm sure they're very happy to have those 100 i would classify that as not getting much love now the the one thing that a distributed system for podcasting, one issue that that creates is that every app that you're on has a different discoverability mechanism and they have their different favorites. They have the different way they sort, they have a different way they wait, right? So the, in, so the indie creator who doesn't have systems, right, might not be able to afford like megaphone places like that or, or, or don't want to have a separate anchor account for Spotify, a separate Apple account, a separate whatever account to try to game all these apps, they're at a disadvantage because like, for instance, TuneIn supports tags, but Apple says, even though they support it, they don't search on them. So should you put tags? Should you not? Well, you should, but then the list of the things you should do gets to be as long as the podcast itself. And it just makes it hard. So, I, but to come back to your question. I think it's romantic to have the distributed kind of uncensored podcast system, but I'm, I'm trying to look out for the, for the monetary benefit of the indie podcaster, right? If they want to make a go at a real podcast that has real listeners, I think the closed systems are the only way that that's going to happen, right? The, like without YouTube, where would video be? I mean, you, I'm sure you remember when there was four or five video platforms. I didn't even use video then because I thought, you know, but I'll give you a good example. My show, Podcast Creators, I upload it to Anchor for video. And I can tell you that the second I switched it to video, 
it started getting more listens than it was when it was audio only. Well, I'm I'm glad you said that because that just encourages me to to do a little bit more with video. But but also mm-hmm. what I think you're speaking to is two things. The first is giving giving platforms what they want, right? In the way that they want it. You talked about yeah. giving tune-in tags and, and just kind of knowing how to play the, the platforms themselves. But then also what's what's really interesting, and we could talk, I actually would like to talk about video because um, yeah, sure. it seems like this is where there's some white space. It seems like this is where there's, there's an area of opportunity where, frankly, there's, there's more, Anchor has more audio podcasts than than they need in terms of to fill up their 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 app engagement sure. and the people that are actually on there. But video podcasts, they don't they don't have that that amount of of content. And so you're gonna fill because that's something that they want to promote and that's something that that they want to push, they're gonna give that more weight. And and I don't think that it'll be like that forever because people right. are gonna hop in and they're going to be that's going to fill up but i think that that's that's actually a really interesting take because you see it on some of the other platforms you do you do reels because that's what instagram wants to promote or you do a certain type of content right. on linkedin because quizzes on linkedin because that's what goes there and so that's just i think a really i don't want to say easy because doing video i'd, I'd love to know what you kind of did to incorporate video but it's not an easy beast yeah. right i mean it's not something that you just flip no, on if i were to look at the effort I would say the audio version of podcast creators is like 15% of the effort. I mean, the video is so, so hard. I mean, not only do you have to have equipment that looks decent, but it has to be able to record for an hour without catching on fire. You have to figure out how to sync your audio with your lips. If you, if you don't do it on in, in recording, you have to do it in post. You have to, there's, there's lower thirds for, for showing who people are and it's, it just is endless. There's transitions and there's, there's tools out there like Riverside that, that get you closer. And I think it's better than nothing, but it's like the, it's like I was saying with the podcasting before you're in that beginning stage of a sucky video podcast, essentially, right? Like it's not good yet. Like for, for me, I've been editing, I've been editing video for close to a decade now, and I outsource podcast creators editing because of the time it takes to do it. So, and there's a lot, there's a lot of people that just don't have that luxury. So yeah. And so podcasting in my view is considerably easier. Here's, here's my problem though, Greg, is that I, I love the ability to switch between the video and the audio. Like that experience is so so cool. Like I, I, I yeah. am a big Joe Rogan fan. I was just listening to one of my hosts was talking about it. He's like, I don't understand how people listen to mm-hmm. this guy for four hours. And I'm like, I don't know either, but I do it. And I got to tell you the ability to switch from video to audio seamlessly in, in like, oh, it's just, it, it, it ha- it's going to be the future. Un- and the unfortunate side of it is that is so much more work for podcasters. It is absolutely magic. I mean, Spotify has figured it out because when you're minimize the video, you're only streaming 128 kilobits or whatever. And until you maximize the video, it doesn't stream the video bandwidth. So it, it somehow switches nearly seamlessly or close to seamlessly. There's, there's usually like a little spinny for a second, but it's so, it's so close to perfect. And I know the folks over at YouTube are watching that going, we could do this. 
Like this, this would be so easy for us to do. And if you have YouTube premium, you can do it. Now, the issue is, is that it streams the video the entire time, even if your phone is, is, is your screen is off. So it doesn't lend itself to cellular networks that, that well, especially in rural areas. But I don't, I, I don't see a future where YouTube doesn't do this exact same thing. I mean, that's happening. What I think is important for, for people hopefully to take away from this is that, yeah, I think you're a realist and I, I think I, I like, I tend to be more of an optimist, but I, but I think that you are mm -hmm. absolutely right that it's, it kind of, it kind of sucks, but it's something that we're going to, podcasters are going to have to do. And going back to your earlier point, if you put yourself in a position where you are making some money, I have a client right now who they generate like, I don't know, 600 bucks from Patreon every month. And it's enough yeah, to cover, beautiful. so that nothing's out of pocket. It covers, covers product, production, marketing, everything. That way they can, they can just really focus on providing a show. And, and those types of things, if you are constantly investing $100, $200, $400 into your show every month, it may not seem that big of a deal, but then all of a sudden you have to incorporate video and you've got to get, now it makes that a, a little bit harder of a leap. Yeah, I mean, I, I use the Sony a7 III with a Camlink 4K for any nerds that are going to listen to this. And I have this, you can see it on my Twitter, but I have this XLR adapter on top of the a7C. And I would say with the lens and everything, it was probably a $2,500 investment. Plus you need, I don't know, plus you need uh, lights. Like my, I do my podcast on the Rodecaster Pro, so that's actually relatively cheap. But compared to video, podcasting is cheap. And we just wound down a video I did for a couple of years with my wife that we did video the last year. So we had everything times two. So we had lights and we have, I have studio monitors. Like I'm looking at you right now on a uh, teleprompter. So like I can, so I can look you in the eyes and uh, all these things cost money. And they're not like, it's not like little money. This is like adult right. money. This is like real job money. And, and it adds up. I mean, just the tripods I'm looking at alone, they're like, there's probably $2,000 worth of tripods just in my view right now. V video, you can sink a lot of money in. Now you can also do it on the cheap, which I think we need some creators to write some blogs about how to do it on the cheap. I certainly don't know how to do it on the cheap. I wish I did because I would have, but. Um, so what about, I think that there are. The, the interview shows lend themselves a little easier to video because it's, it's easier. Yeah. Where I think becomes a little bit, at least just of an unknown, is the emergence of these audio dramas or narrative podcasts. Yeah. And, and how, how you think, because some of our, our listeners do have shows like that. And so for someone sure. like that, what do you, what, what kind of advice do you give to those people in terms of how they might think about incorporating video or, or how they might think about just utilizing that? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I can step back and say, I don't know if full video is going to be required because if you think about, if you think about what Spotify is doing, where you can stream the audio and pop up the video, that gives you a lot of options that you really don't have on YouTube. I mean, you can do the same thing, but, but Spotify is truly audio first, right? The video is, is just a nice to have, like you keep, you mentioned Joe Rogan. If you had him minimized in Spotify all day, you would hear the same show, right? 
So what I always think about when I'm doing my own stuff or if people ask me is, is what is my content, right? People think the podcast is the product and the podcast really isn't the product. The podcast is, is one channel to get your product out there, right? So if I was an audio drama and I wanted to maximize my views on YouTube, obviously I'm not going to shoot a movie because that's what I'd have to do if it's an audio drama, right? What I would probably do is I would reach out to an artist and I would probably get sets mocked up and I would do it in like a slideshow or I would, I would incorporate video elements without having to shoot a video right. show. And then, and then I would probably, I would probably record a video intro with the cast and announce saying, thanks for, you know, listening or watching, come back just to add a human element to it. I wouldn't just create an audiogram and put it up there. I mean, I, you can today, but if you're going to take video seriously, I, I would say the audiogram is minimum viable product, right? Like everyone today should be, should have a headliner subscription and they should post their audiograms to YouTube because the day's coming when you're going to be able to listen everyone without a YouTube subscription will be able to listen to audio only on YouTube. So at least do that. But if you wanted to take it seriously, I think you would just have to think about what visual elements would help my product be more consumable by my audience. Yeah. That's how, yeah, that's a great, and I think a lot of shows right now in that space that are doing a good job with their visuals are using it for their episode art or their, their artwork. Mm -hmm. Now that Spotify displays individual episode artwork, I mean, I think that that's just mm -hmm. a, a great feature for them and the shows are yep. taking advantage of that. It's kind of an expansion of that without necessarily, like you said, having to shoot a whole show. So I think that's a great, great tip there. The last thing that I just want to cover before we get out of here, because sure. this has been some good stuff, is what's working or what has worked. Getting to 80,000 downloads is, like I said, no small feat. And I'm sure it's something that's that's happened iteratively or that was a, a process. Yeah. But what are some things that you look back on that that worked or what are some things that you like to to suggest to hosts? Sure. Well, I'll start with a free one and then and then we'll go to to kind of what's been most successful for paid. So the, so the very first thing that I always say when I consult with a podcast creator is you have to land your, both your show name and every episode title. Those have to land and they have to land from both a human readable perspective and an SEO perspective. So what I say is, let's say you're covering, let's, we'll, we'll talk about true crime since that's the biggest show and I've had the most experimentation data with that. But let's say you're, let's say you're, you're covering a crime and it's the, I don't know, the, the train, the train crime. I'm just going to use a non gory title, the train heist. Well, if you Google train heist, you're probably going to see New York times articles. You're going to see all sorts of different articles about it. Look very carefully at how they title their articles, because these people are professionals. They they have paid the price to test and, and learn, right? So look at, look at how they've titled it. Then go over to trends.google.com. Maybe you have four or five ideas. Put them in trends and see which ones have the highest search history. You're not really trying to game Google, but what you're trying to understand is, is, is what, what things are humans looking for 
if they want to consume this content, right? And you can make an assumption that that a, a human will type that into iHeartRadio or Apple or Spotify the same way they would type it into Google if they're looking for that content. So step one is do that. Take the stupid episode name, the, the word episode off of your title. Take, take all the bogus garbage off your title. No one cares about that. You can keep the episode number on there just to make it human readable, but, but make it so that it's interesting and you have some good search criteria. You can go through Indie Drop-In and see the big shows, the big episodes, and say, why is it this, why is this show outperforming the one right before it? And nine times out of 10, it's because it's got a better title. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unfortunate how many people miss the mark. I actually, I put out on Twitter, I didn't think I was going to get this big of a response. And if you left your show down there, I haven't gotten to you. I promise I'm coming. But there, I mean, we think I had at least over 100 people put their show down there. And the reason I bring that up is that, that I was going through quite a few shows and just seeing the same mistakes over and over again. And you mentioned it, uh, a, a mm -hmm. title that is, is kind of nebulous. The second thing was that the, artwork was not any better that the artwork didn't help me understand it and then yeah. the third was that the episode titles like you said had all these shenanigans in there or had all these things that were were not helpful in getting someone to click and i just i, I think that people right. can't underestimate the power that that has in discoverability and gaining new listeners yeah it it makes a like you can you can do a, like an a b test with it like honestly you can you can go back to your old shows and change the name and watch in your charts how they change, how your, how your everyday listens go from three to five to maybe 10 to 12. And if you have good topics, I mean, like if your show is terrible, I don't know. Yeah, there's no, no, no fixing you, a bad show. That's the first thing. Yeah. No. Yeah. So then, so then if we move into paid, I'll tell you that my target ratio is about... I'll jump up, I jump up and down at two bucks a listener, right? If I can get two bucks a listener, I'll pour a lot of money on that, right? So recently it's been creeping up to about five bucks a listener, which is, which is horrible, H horrible. Because if you think about you're paid by CPM, what is it? 25 bucks per CPM per a thousand. What does that make your listener? Two thousandths of a penny. Right. Like not a lot. So it's, it's, it's not a lot, right? So if you're paying five bucks for them, they got to listen to a lot of shows before you make your money back on a listener. And if I was doing this primarily just to like drive the, the, the Brinks truck to the bank, I wouldn't do it. But my, I'm motivated by more than just creating a lot of wealth for myself. I'm motivated by getting listeners for these creators that put their trust in me. So I'm willing to overpay for a listener for their benefit. Now, you can see this by looking at Overcast, right? Which I would consider one of the most expensive, but, but effective in-app ads on the planet. When you buy an Overcast ad, if it says you're going to get 70 subs, you're probably going to get 70 subs. So as far as effectiveness, Overcast is... We've is used Overcast as well. The, yeah. We like them. It, they just... And I think it's just everybody has gotten more expensive they're just yeah. too expensive yeah they're just too expensive so so lately lately i've been i would say the last three months i've been doing a lot of google ads and i've been having a lot of good success throughout my th throughout the entire career of indie drop-in 
I've had Twitter ads running. So I really love Twitter ads. You can, fo- you can, you can target other podcasters followers. So like, it seems like you shouldn't be able to do something like that, but until they take the feature away, I'm doing it. Totally. And my job is to convert listeners from brands to indies. So I can target brands listeners and I can show them some indie shows and it works. Host red ads are probably my number three. I stopped doing overcast and I, and I do primarily pay-per-click with Google and Twitter. And then my third is host red ads. I either do it. Well, now, now I have a nice bench and indie drop-in of podcasters that I know. So I reach out to my local shows and I try to share the wealth a little bit there. Right. So I'll advertise on shows that have submitted to indie drop-in, which is, I think a nice benefit for them because nobody would know they existed before. And then, and then I'll do, I've done, I should say podcorn campaigns, which were, were pretty effective, but nowhere near the $2 a listener. So my convert rate on with host red ads is less than 2%. It's about 1.5%. So if a podcaster has chartable, I send them a, a campaign with chartable so I can track conversions and every 50,000 downloads. I'll get 65 new listeners, which it's 50,000. It costs me 50,000 times 25 or, you know, 50 times 25. And then I end up getting Instagram stories because the, the Instagram stories to podcast app, I mean, is just, is really Mm -hmm. seamless. 60 listeners. It's not, it's not the greatest uh, deal on the planet. Yeah. It's it's kind of interesting, and I've seen we're actually running one um, right now with the with the show on, and we're doing it on Facebook and Instagram. And I've really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. We swipe up, click the button, they're in the app, and we run it through Chartable. So that has been something, and we're getting <laughs> yeah. probably like twenty, thirty cent downloads. We I can't really tell how many. There's the problem with doing this is that the attribution and the conversion you can't. It's like everybody with these privacy things. You just can't follow people like you could two years ago. No. But um, no. But it's see, I'm blown away. Granted, we're and for these of you listeners, we're we're running it some video ads to uh, some high profile guests. But outside of that, everybody has said that. It doesn't work or paid ads don't for podcasting don't work. What I'm hearing from you is that it can work. And I know we've we've got a campaign that we're just trying to, I'm trying to prove to, to the, to the peoples that be that this not like a, you know, flash in the pan, because I think it's, and we can talk off, off recording about some more of the specifics, but. Yeah. Let me, let me be clear on this though. Pay-per-click advertising absolutely works. I can, I see without a doubt that if I spend a thousand bucks on Google ads, I get, we'll say, you know, between 500 and a thousand downloads, which is a huge difference than spending 25 bucks times 50 and getting 60 downloads, right? Like you cannot move the needle as fast with, uh, host red ads as I have been moving right. it with Google. It just let me play happening. devil's advocate. A thousand dollars for some people to get five hundred. Well, in your mindset, you you mentioned that you're 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 okay overpaying for for these listeners. But in your mindset, where where does the return come, or how's the return coming, or do you anticipate that those people are gonna stick around? Like, are you are you assuming they're gonna 
be around next week's for next week's show or like how in your head do you say okay we're going to spend five hundred five you know thousand dollars five hundred dollars whatever this week we're going to get this yeah. amount here's here's how we're gonna here's the game plan of how that's going to come back in terms of downloads or cpms or whatever that looks like yeah i mean that's a i mean that's an interesting question because essentially for indie drop-in to make money all I would have to do is ratchet down the advertising. I just basically have to spend less than I make, right? The, the way I kind of see it is, is if I'm beating my breakage, my, if I'm beating my retention statistics, like if Chartable says I, I turn over my, I don't know if I believe this, but I turn over my audience every like six months, right? So if, if I can continually add listeners faster than listeners fall off i think i'm right. winning now now if i was a if i had to pay somebody if i had employees to worry about where profit margin was was really really important to me because like families relied on me and things like that i probably would be a little bit more stressed out about it but i will say that as shows get bigger they create inertia and they kind of feed themselves so to speak right and also, as shows get bigger, they earn more, right? So let's say my average, let's say my average show does 20,000 downloads. Now I'm charging $450 for a pre-roll versus what a regular podcaster might be lucky to get 25 bucks, right? Right. But the amount of work is exactly right. the same. So it's, it, I don't know that I answered your question. I probably. No, you, no, yeah. you did. The, the retention aspect is, is really important. And a, because I'm, I'm looking for those answers of how do they stick around? But I think that's what you're, what you're saying is if I can add more listeners on than the ones that are falling yeah. off, then ultimately, you know, we're going to, we're going to end up in a good place. And you also have to be in a place where you don't need every dollar that the, the podcast brings in to support you or your family or, or whatever it is that, that makes it helpful that, that helps as well yeah and that's a, a friend of mine you know who has a podcast where i consult with him you know he's he was making zero when we talked and now he's making like 350 bucks a month which he's ecstatic about and i said hey man like this don't that this is the business's money right like it's not your right. money so what you should do you know feed the business and it's like, oh, you know, it's Christmas. You know, I can, you know, I can buy a couple extra Christmas presents for my kid. thought, uh, you know, like that's the difference between my, where I'm at and, and where, you know, somebody who might like, if you work at Panera, 300 bucks is a, I mean, it's a life right. changer. It's a car payment. Right. It's, you know, maybe you can finally buy that parking spot out in front of your uh, apartment. You know, you don't have to park four blocks or whatever, you know, like it, it can make a big difference. And I don't want to you know, I don't want to stick my nose at that at all. But what I want to do is I want to get those people more money so that they can spend a hundred bucks a month on Google ads, or, you know, maybe they can become big enough to be interesting to a network, which has happened because of my show. You know, who knows, man? Well, I'll say that right now, as long as, is what I'm spending on indie dropping isn't impacting my life, then I'm not, I'm not going to scrutinize it too much, right? Like, so if I, let's say I make a thousand bucks in a month and I spend 1800 on, you know, I can't do it forever, but I'm not going to be upset about that. Yeah. And, yeah. And context is so important, right? I mean, like it's important that you mentioned that people are just in different places and, you know, 
if that guy got an extra $350 and we wouldn't have been able to buy Christmas gifts to those people, absolutely. Yeah, man, um, I feel pretty it, damn awesome. good about that. Not to curse on your show, sorry, but I feel really good about that. Like the fact that he was able to give his kids a, 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 a better Christmas just based on some advice that, you know, I would give to anyone, right? That he, you know, it takes a special person to take advice, listen to advice and then take action. Most people listen to advice and they don't do anything with it. Right. They just they, feel better. They just feel better. But if you take yeah. it, if you, if you get some advice and you take action, like you can make some money in podcasting. Totally. Totally. Greg, this has been um, so valuable for me. So I appreciate it selfishly. And, and one of the reasons that I was excited to have you on, on the show is because I've seen what you've been doing on Twitter and I have seen the, the value to the community and, and it, it shines through and, and if it hasn't uh, produced fruits, I know that they're coming because I know that the indie podcasting space is growing. I just saw a stat and we know, you know, how we are about stats, but I've mm -hmm. seen a few people quote the stat. So it's either good PR or it's actually real, but something like one in 10 people in the UK are going to start a podcast this year. Like, yeah. Hey, I think that's crazy that one in 10 people are going to start a podcast. But, uh, for people like me and you, I think it's great for, for what we're doing and the communities that we're building. Yeah, I, I think if Indie Drop-In someday could return 10% of its income to me, I would consider it a very successful endeavor and worth my time for the next, you know, decade. So that's kind of where I wanted to get. I wanted to, I want to operate it like a charity, but not a chi. So, you know, like if, if one day I want to take, you know, more money, I can without having to, to, to answer any questions, but, but I, yeah. But I, it is it is in service to the indie podcaster, and that's kind of like my north star that I try to you know keep myself humble and just say, hey, you know this you might have had a good month, but you probably should buy some host red ads from somebody. Twitter, you're definitely on Twitter. Uh, where else yep. can people find the shows? Or I, I don't know that we've um, mentioned the individual names of the shows, but if you want to share those, that'd be yeah, awesome too. yeah. So indiedropin.com is is where everything's at. So i n d i e. D-R-O-P-I-N, all one word, no dashes or anything like that. The company name is actually Indie Space Drop In with a dash, but the, the domain's Indie Drop In. And we have three shows today. We have True Crime. We have Scary Time, which is a paranormal and uh, kind of scary stories show. And then we have Comedy, which is the, which is the, the, the hard one. It's the B. Um, it's very hard to target a comedy listener. From a marketing perspective oh yeah they're so diverse oh my god so many different types of comedy within yeah. that one niche yeah yeah for sure. yeah so so that that the it's actually a decent size show for is you know it gets about a thousand downloads of an episode and it was really hard to get it to that level my my plan is to launch four more shows this year i'm gonna likely launch a history show and i'm gonna likely launch some stuff in the tv movie categories if anyone listening is a creator, you can go to IndieDropIn.com forward slash creator and all my stuff is there. You can submit a show, you can see the rules, you can do all that kind of stuff. You know, you can follow me on Twitter at IndieDropIn or Instagram at IndieDropIn and my DMs are always open. I don't charge for consulting. You know, I do this for fun. This is not my day job. This is a hot that, you know, makes a nickel or two. So, you know, say hi. I love it. Guys, go follow him on Twitter and uh, hang out with us. I'm Hector underscore podcast. Same. And uh, as always, thank you for being part of the MYP fam. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode.